Welcome to our first episode of Those Who Can't Do. My name is Gina and this is my husband, Matt. We are teachers here in the LA area and we want to share with you our thoughts and experiences in the educational world. Today we are going to be talking about virtual learning, a major topic in education right now. Was that the intro you decided on? Yeah. No, that's going to be good. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to talk about virtual learning. Matt, tell us what it is. Why is it such a hot topic? So there's a virus that's been going around lately, and uh, people started freaking out about it. And we ended up in quarantine for the last eight months. And so uh, a lot of places in America still being hit by it are in a position where their schools can't open. You can't go into classrooms, you can't educate in person, you can't get students to, you know, behave per normal, <laughs> and you can't do, you know, all the stuff that you'd normally be able to do. So virtual learning has become the buzzword of the day because it's the ability to still reach out and get students the skills and information that they need in order to advance forward without costing them their, you know, their time and their, and their education. So that's the main goal is that with virtual learning, we're able to kind of do that. So we talk about virtual learning. We hear about it a lot, but what is virtual learning? Well, the definition is a virtual learning environment or VLE. It's a web-based platform for the digital. You're gonna, you're gonna, I'm just I'm you're sipping gonna, my coffee. You're just going to sip your coffee in my microphone while I give this very, yeah. very important <laughs> definition. All right. Now I have to start over, man. Okay. Virtual learning, VLE. It's a web-based platform for the digital aspects of, cor of courses of study, usually within educational institutions, or simply put, it's an online classroom. Um, and there's different types of online uh, classrooms or learning management systems or LMSs. You're going um, gonna to find throughout this whole thing that we love our abbreviations. We love it here in education. So VLE, LMS. You guys tracking so far? <laughs> And the popular LMS uh, uh, resources are uh, in the U.S. right now are Moodle, Schoology, Google Classroom, Edmodo, and Blackboard. And Matt and I are currently using Schoology in and our in the, schools. In the past, I've used Moodle, Edmodo, and Blackboard before in a lot of detail. And there, Schoology so far is the one that's kind of outshining everything for me. There's not really anything that comes close in the same area. Yeah, I've used Google Classroom in the past, and I'd have to say I, I love Schoology so much. And I know that there's a great group of people who uh, don't like Schoology, but I'm definitely pro-Schoology. Well, I think as far as they keep it updated. They keep it updated in a way that none of the other ones do. Um, they, you know, Moodle and Edmodo still kind of look like when they originally came out. Schoology is constantly adapted, everything that it does. And Google Classroom is was always kind of superior in the if you had a full Google setup. Mm -hmm. But if, if you are at any point having to use anything outside of Google, it starts to fall apart real quick on you. It really does, because Google only really caters to Google, which is Schoology and a lot of the other platforms cater to Google and other things. Um, but Matt, can you tell uh, us what a virtual classroom, uh, what people think a virtual classroom looks like, especially those who may not have actually set foot in a classroom? Well, I think, yeah, the virtual workspace, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of people are seeing it as like a streaming service. You know, the students log in and the teacher is talking on a video. Um, and they possibly have, you know, a bunch of like apples and 
teacher resources behind them because <laughs> we love apples in the teaching field. They, they think that we throw a bunch of stuff kind of behind us in the background that are like little hidden gems for students to explore. And other than that, we can kind of like, you know, that, that that's the education. It's just us talking and students kind of responding to it. But what does your virtual classroom classroom actually look like? It's it's a uh, it is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> virtual classrooms are um, it, there is a lot that that's broken down throughout it. For me, there's three different layers. There's the layer that the students are interacting with, which is the LMS, so the learning management system at its core, kind of functions as the go point for the students. And I have interaction through three different apps within that system, which is where the students are getting their work from. And that's Google Slides, Google Docs, and Notability. We're able to transition documents to all those places. On top of that, there's the layer of feedback that students get, which is coming out of, in my case, YouTube and video editing. Um, I'm able to post videos after they're able to interact with all of these things and they're able to get their education. But I know some teachers are front loading that, so they're putting the videos at the front of the classroom so that students watch the videos and then interact with the software afterwards. But it's kind of dependent on where you wanna go with it. So those three levels are kind of covering students' education in a way that the classroom normally would for me. Uh, yeah, to paint a picture of my virtual classroom, I have like a banner on the very top with you know my Bitmojis, which is such a big thing right now. You have to commit to the Bitmoji. I'm gonna be real, I think, I think it's a little cringe. I know it is a hundred percent cringy. cringe. For the, it's cringy for the kids. <laughs> it is, but I love it and I don't care. <laughs> I got I got criticized super heavily on my yeah, opening. Yeah, but you're day. a guy. <laughs> That's well that we're, we'll have a whole podcast about that. Let's break that down. <laughs> but my banner has like my little bitmoji with my office hours and our schedule for um, when we meet and like my email and all that. So it's available to them right at the top. And of course our Zoom link's there. And I, I use Google Slides with our agenda. And then I like to break things up into folders by week. So like week one, do this, week two, do this. And I'm trying to explore like explaining um, all the assignments with like a screen, um, like a screencast. Um, so it can, they can always go back and like what are you supposed to do? They can listen and watch me explain it to them. And personally, I'm struggling with the editing part of that with Screencastify because I actually am starting to really hate Screencastify. Well, and to be honest, I think this is what's blowing up in parents' faces is the fact that the two of us are sitting here married, working in the same house, having two completely different systems for approaching the students. And if, if a student was in both of our rooms, that's somewhere around 10 different programs the parents are having to learn right now on the spot in order to help their students with the work. And I think that's that's killing us right now. That's making it so that it's really, really difficult to learn these systems. Because even though we're, we're simplifying it as much as we possibly can, there's still no way to engage 100% of the population, despite it looking like we are. That's the, that's the weird thing about virtual learning is that it looks like you're getting everyone. And there's just no way to actually know that. There's people falling behind left and right, and you can't tell. And that's what's the struggle for me. And that kind of brings up that a point of time, the fact that people have to take the time to learn this, parents, teachers, students. How much time did you take, um, not just setting up your classroom, but the converting your lessons from your regular lessons to your online lessons or developing new lessons that will work online and how much time did you take to do this how much time did, does it take you in a week or in the summer i think well 
I think there's two different answers to that. Because when we were converting last semester in spring, when this whole quarantine started, I had lessons that were already commencing. I was already mid-unit through a couple of different things. And I was having to take stuff that I had clearly planned. Projects, you know, dialogues. I had a debate that I had been setting up in my classes. And debates are supposed to be done in person. To convert all of that digital, I was putting in... I was going 20 hours a day. I was sleeping very little. I was doing, I was like, it was insanity. Um, this semester has not been that because I've planned it from the ground up to be virtual, which means I'm not really spending any more time than I normally would on a classroom. I think what's coming in as added work is I don't get the, I don't get the bonus of graded time anymore. The grading is what's kind of catching up to me. As opposed to normally, I can get through grading pretty quickly and it's not that much of a stoppage. But in this case, it is because every single minute of my free time is spent prepping for the next set of assignments or next lesson. See, for me, uh, I'm trying to plan two weeks in advance and I'm finding that once I've spent hours and hours and hours planning what I'm doing for the week, uh, the actual making it happen the implementation of it becomes really easy and is not as much time but then i spent yet uh, friday after week two and rage quit because of how much time i had to spend to try to set up for the next two weeks so i'm finding my time has transitioned in the setup more so than the actual like teaching aspect of well, it and let me tell a little a little blurb here that happened last week as i sat down to plan out um, an opening assignment uh, for my ninth grade class and I put together a slideshow and um, the slideshow was wholly interactive right so everything on it was a link I was able to send kids to go get videos or whatever and I built this whole thing I went to sleep and I looked at it in the morning and realized that if I was to give this to children there would no one would be able to read it it just was it was illegible just the amount of information and stuff I was trying to communicate because I was trying to wholly implement an electronic lesson for the students and you really have to like you have to factor yourself into the picture I was planning on the fact that I wasn't gonna be there to help them so I was putting all the information on and it was easily 40 hours of work on these slides that would never be done by anybody so it's just been this kind of conversion process I think another point I'd like to touch on would be like it's the idea that the, as much work as we're putting in, I also see that parents are putting in that much work on the other end. Mm -hmm. We have to factor in that we're learning these processes. We send it to the students. The students, if they don't know how to do something, the parents sitting there downloading the apps and trying to figure it out for themselves. And that is, that's backloading on the other side. You know, that's something we don't see. A lot that this, a lot that's happening is revolved around time a lot of time is being spent and what I've found is I've I spent almost 30 hours on an online unit that I was going that I'm going to do with my eighth graders and I would have never been I would have never had that time or energy to do that but I had to because I had to figure out a virtual way to do that lesson time is such a big factor here we've spent hours after our work days working on how to implement our online lessons we've spent weekends i spent basically the entire not basically i spent the entire summer working probably four hours a day just on what i'm going to do if we're back virtually if we're back yeah. hybrid if we're back uh in person with uh you know less time with the kids or less kids in the classroom am i going to have to be doubling the work and i feel that we went from these the teachers being 
you know, such great people and they work so hard and in just a few months it's been going down that where you're not, you're not going back, you're selfish and lazy and all those positivity and all that, all those positive vibes have really gone back to negative vibes that we see here in the U.S. in education where we've already, we always see us as looking as like, oh, teachers, they get the summers off and what went from positive has gone back to negative. And it's incredibly frustrating. Well, let me ask you something. The the amount of because you talk about the amount of hours you're putting in after school, and my 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 school day when I would when I would work in person would end around five or six anyway. Mm-hmm. You know those those extra you know yes we'd get out at you know three, but I would be at school for the extra hour or two, getting stuff done, getting stuff set up, you know trying to talk with people, set up meetings, parents, that kind of thing. It was already there. The hours were already in place. So putting in these extra hours, you feel like it's more? You feel like it's more than you would be doing in a normal school day? I think um, the amount of hours I spent to prepare for virtual learning was more than I would have spent in a school day. And because I've been teaching this, this is the third year I've been at my school teaching the same grades, mm-hmm. seventh and eighth grade with the same, you know, honors classes or regular, whatever I'm teaching. So it always becomes a little bit easier every year because you're just editing or adding or perfecting your lessons. But now I'm, it's like I've started over again from year one as a teacher because I can't just take my lessons and say, we're going to do this because I have to sit there and figure out how. I tried to figure out how I'm going to take my advanced students and how they're going to do their AP vocabulary because they're the advanced kids. We have a set of books, but they don't have those books. I have to figure out the online version. Am I going to pay for the online version? Am I going to just find the resources and try to work around it? Can I, I have no money at my school. Apparently we, there's no money. Um, I mean, that's and, typical. And, you that's know. pretty typical for schools. <laughs> no, yeah. there's never money. And now all that money that we should have had uh, on the side for the books, there's <laughs> gone. That's gone. And so... Well, talk to me about, because you're bringing up a lot about how, you, how you're particularly feeling. And it seems that you're kind of giving, you're kind of getting a negative vibe from it. You're definitely not enjoying the, the amount of work and the amount of time it takes. So how does that kind of negativity translate for, for the virtual learning atmosphere as a whole? Like, is it showing up for everyone? Is, is there anyone positive on this? Well, what I'm about to say is going to sound a little reedy because I've got some art, some statistics and articles, so please bear with me because I do have a very data-centered, evidence-centered response um, about the negativity oh, that's okay. surrounding our virtual learning prepared, like a good teacher is, right? So when you, So we're talking about the negativity that surrounds virtual learning. When you Google the phrase virtual learning, you'll see that Wikipedia definition that I originally said uh, a few minutes ago, the VLE. You're Uh, citing Wikipedia on a teacher blog? Heck yes, (laughs) 100%. And you you can't convince me that Wikipedia isn't legit anymore with the amount of resources they have. I'm aware. (laughs) So um, when you Google virtual learning right now, I Googled this a couple days ago, so I imagine there's a few updated articles since then. But this is what I did when I Googled virtual learning. I saw the Wikipedia definition. um, And then these were the top three articles that showed up. Are you ready? First article. Students demand tuition cuts as more colleges pivot (laughs) to virtual learning. A Fox News article published on August 22nd. 
you know, this is something that uh, you reading that demanding tuition cuts. There is something that everybody we're putting in the same amount of work and the same amount of time and everything. And across the board, I've heard nonstop that people bring up that it's not the same value. And that's really hard to hear. It's hard. It's hard to process that because I'm putting in the same work. I'm putting in the exact same amount of time for them to say, yeah, but this doesn't really count, you know. And so students are literally demanding the education I'm getting is not worth the same amount. So I want my tuition back is is just kind of like emphasizing that idea, you know. Absolutely. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. The second article, you ready? Northside ISD <clears throat> working to resolve technical issues with virtual learning portal on first day of school, which was a KENS uh, 5, a CBS article uh, pum- published on August 24th. So again, another ver- a negative, uh, another negative to virtual learning. And the third article um, that you would find when you google virtual learning zoom outrage impacts first day of virtual learning for atlanta public schools which is a fox 5 atlanta article published on august 24th so three articles the top three that you see all negative well you'll notice that so far in this whole podcast we didn't mention zoom zoom (laughs) has been zoom has been the pinnacle of our education system right now and any teacher will shudder at, at even hearing Zoom outage <laughs> because so much gets thrown off if even for a second people can't log into Zoom. We're talking mm-hmm. 15 emails, 20 different messages from students and parents, people freaking out because Zoom is the crux of it. Coming out of nowhere and being the go-to app for pretty much every teacher right now mm-hmm. is insane. The negativity that surrounds virtual learning and not just Zoom, but in general, has put this like really dark shadow on the educational world. And it took, again, teachers from these well-respected, give them more money people in March to they're selfish, they're entitled, they're stubborn, they're lazy in just a few short months. So we need to dive into this. So Well, Matt- look, I, I, don't, I don't think it's universal that everyone is considering teachers selfish. I think it's, I think it's a tough vibe. Um, and especially where we're at, cause we're, you know, the LA area is kind of coming from that idea that like everyone is selfish and entitled. That's because LA didn't go back mm-hmm. and the school sites that are going back are seen as like brave and heroic. And yet, you know, it, it seems to be constantly backfiring on them in that they're on and off campus. They're mm-hmm. having to do a virtual learning impacted heavily by the idea that they could shut down tomorrow. You know, there's no guarantee that they'll still be in school. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's that's definitely impacting the entire teaching world, as you say. So can you explain what kind of encounters and experiences you're getting from the teacher or the parents and the students? So distributing devices to schools is done in a bunch of different steps that are also part of regular stu- student orientation. And orientation was taken through in a drive-through type capacity. And I think our school fared a lot better than other schools that were trying to do in-person orientation that could allow six students on campus at a given time mm-hmm. who were who had lines for, that were five to eight hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, people not getting into the school site until four o'clock and being told that everyone was signing out because mm-hmm. um, they were in the back of the line that day. And that's something I didn't encounter at all. It was super smooth at our location. And we were able to get everybody out there. Um, one of the things that was consistently coming up was just the gratitude from parents for the fact that devices were being provided, but they were also very incredulous to the idea that like, why didn't this happen before? Mm. Um, why didn't we have all of these resources and technological resources 
you know, before this pandemic? And I don't think that's an easy question to answer. I think it's really difficult to do that. But, you know, parents, you know, having reactions that were pretty strong to the idea of us not going back, it kind of set in for a lot of people in the drive through to where we had some pretty tough encounters with parents, you know, who were who were very, you know, provocative and trying to, you know, start some kind of confrontation about the idea that we weren't going back and we were going back virtually. And that was that was something that was really intimidating to try to deal with where I, you know, I was thinking, oh, we're just going to be distributing stuff. And it turned into this this whole thing where there was a lot of bitterness. There was a lot of embittered people that were involved, despite us having almost no line and everybody waiting a very small amount of time. Well, and what makes me kind of sad in, in hearing that story is because there's a lot of blame towards the teachers and, and the school itself, or even a, a school district, when for California, it wasn't our decision. It was nowhere near our decision. It was our governor's decision. So the blame is uh, is being felt firsthand on the teacher's end and the administrator's ends when it's really out of our hands. So let's let's get down to it then. Um, what do you think is causing people to be so negative about this idea of learning virtually when in, in practice, it seems like it should work almost the same and very little is changing for us. We've set up, we've set up these systems to be in place that students have full access to the content, full access to the information. And yet the response to it, teachers, parents, students across the board coming across as negative. Well, let's start with the obvious. Schools have been a form of free childcare for adults since the mandatory uh, education where kids had to go back, uh, had to be in school. It was a mandatory decision in Boston in the year 1852, 1852. Uh, it especially, and sorry, again, this is gonna be a little reedy, but I wanted to get these facts right for you guys. Um, it especially became a necessity during World War II when women had to join the labor market where the men were fighting uh, overseas. And it again took off in the 1960s with the feminist movement. So for over 60 years, children have been able to attend school for the majority of the workday, allowing parents to work without worrying about someone taking care of their children. Well, and I think one of the things that, you know, that might not have been brought up here that would have been a huge impact is extended education has become a larger and larger necessity for people to enter the workforce. As in, you know, it, it, a high school diploma has become a bachelor's degree and a bachelor's degree has become a master's degree. Like mm -hmm. you have to keep extending further ahead into your education in order to get access to the job market and, you know, the processes that you have. And you, I'm sure there will be a separate podcast in the future about the myth of college education. But this is something that we're definitely seeing as people are feeling like their students are missing out on essential time that they need to get into the job force. And that's something that I think is, is huge in it. Well, and the reality of, of education is students really only need an eighth grade education. You learn how to write, think critically, um, structured writing. You learn the history of the world, U.S. history. You learn basics of chemistry and biology. Um, and you learn uh, algebra, algebra one, uh, which are about all the skills you really need unless you're going to go into a specific type of uh field so we're adding an extra four years to these kids and, and saying they have to go to school and i need someone to watch my kid and uh 64.2 percent of um so this is of last year 64.2 percent of uh, two parent households had both parents working so childcare is a necessity and schools have been the best way to support your children and you know keep them somewhere safe throughout the day 
Now, I work in a middle school in a low socioeconomic community, and after two weeks of school, this is what I've heard. These are the comments I've heard after two weeks. One, I need to help my mom. I need to help my younger siblings. My big sister has to help me. Sorry, I was late. I had to help my siblings with their computer. And my mom doesn't have an email, so I have to use my big sister's. I've also seen parents in the background of virtual Zoom calls. I've seen siblings in front of the camera with this, with my students. And the reality of having children not going back physically is hard on everyone. And we cannot blame parents for being so frustrated or feeling so overwhelmed, especially for their younger kids. There is uh, a student that I currently have right now who is on a Zoom call every day for my class. Uh, and in the background are his three other siblings, each sitting uh, on four corners of a bed and he, he's sitting there holding his iPad in front of him and in the background I can see his two siblings on the other two corners of the bed and in the middle of the bed is they're just stacked all their books that they're just pulling from and they look in them and put it back because they only are they're only able to utilize whatever necessities you know are there um, and it's it's this whole kind of idea that you know we are very under like we don't have the ability to reach everybody in their home because we don't know where everyone's home is at Mm. and home life is different for everybody um and you know i mean even even working in this brief workspace you know just the two of us how many times have we redone this whole area so we can have it function better how many different (laughs) pieces of furniture have we had and moved and put together Mm -hmm. and and try to you know scrounge together (laughs) items so that way we can put together even the most basic virtual learning environment for people. And this is something that is consistently going to be a problem to where, you know, we have to keep in mind that the families are now functioning as families in their area. And that's sometimes going to be a negative just because of the space that they're in. So let's talk about then the second reason why um, there's such negativity to virtual learning. Uh, And it's also a very obvious uh, idea that students learn best in person. And I don't think you're ever going to uh, hear a a teacher say, oh no, yeah, online learning, best thing you can do, better than in person. And it it is better, it's better to be in person because I, I can see if you need my help, I can keep you on task, I can communicate quickly, efficiently, if I'm there with you, I can see what you need. I can help uh, fix any tech problems that you may have if you if computers are involved and I can help you right then and there. Um, that it, it is better to be in person. I think that one of the main things that's been a huge, huge issue is that the selected technology that specific teachers are using does not translate across the board. Mm. Um, People choosing to use, you know, choosing to use, um, you know, Edmodo, people Mm. choosing to use Schoology, people choosing to use, you know, different environments. And uh, what's the one with the, um, with all the videos that students can share with each other, the app that they can upload from? Flipgrid. Flipgrid. And, you know, but some teachers are using Flipgrid, other teachers are just using a virtual environment. So I think that that's the main issue has just been explaining every piece of technology in a way that students can access all of it. Because we, as teachers, are only having to be experts on one or two pieces of key technology Mm -hmm. to utilize them. Students are having to be experts on 20 to 40 pieces. (laughs) They're having to learn all of it from every individual teacher that they have. And that's a huge, that's a big secondary issue. 
Um, secondary is where they're having the problem. You know, starting in middle school, they've got all the different teachers with the systems. It's different in elementary because, yes, the teacher only is going to have one or two key pieces of technology, but you're having to make an eight or nine year old kid an expert on that. Mm. Um, and they can, they can access it. Of course, they can figure it out, but that is a lot to ask, especially a lot to ask of a parent to try to teach them about it, who, when the parent is not an expert either. And I think that's that's kind of the main reason that it's been an issue. I had a student uh, on Friday. Uh, she has been trying to get into my Zoom links uh, all week. She's a really good student. I had her last year, so I know you know she's very smart. And she couldn't get in. I, I was messaging her how to explain things and try how to, okay, make sure you're logged in this way. And finally, she had to call one of my other students, and we had to stay on after to go over um, how, like she basically just had to turn off her computer and, and turn it back on. And of course that's something I could have done in person a lot easier than having, uh, one of my students on zoom with me, another student also helping me on zoom and the student on the phone, uh, trying to all communicate back and forth. And of course I could have done it in like less than five minutes if I was in person. Well, and for, I mean, cause I run a lot of, uh, tech support for my school right now. And, you know, a lot, I, when a student comes to me with a tech issue in person, I have a checklist of about 10 items that mm -hmm. I have to clear in order to make sure the device isn't experiencing one of these super simple issues to fix. And right now what I'm having to do is basically send an email or a text with these, with this list and hope that the student does all those items correctly and doesn't miss anything. Um, and that's kind of how we're running tech support right now for the students. There's not a lot else to do other than hope that they're able to figure it out themselves mm -hmm. because, you know, there's only so many things that I can do about it. The third reason why there's a lot of negativity around virtual learning is because of the unfortunate socioeconomic differences between communities. So we have students who are in middle and high socioeconomic classes and they'll most likely be fine. Um, they have their Wi-Fi's, they have the good Wi-Fi, they have their computers, and if anything, they can have tutors if needed. Um, and those students will be fine, and they have parents who are most likely at home with them who can, at the very least, set them in front of the computer. Um, and so these chances of the middle and high class students will most likely be high, but that will be fine. But unfortunately for our lower socioeconomic families, who will statistically have parents in home with them who can put them in front of the computer, but they'll have um, less access to those good computers and devices. Uh, they'll have uh, the devices provided by the schools, which will most likely be older devices or secondhand devices. Uh, they won't be able to uh, afford the insurance uh, behind it. So if a device breaks, uh, a student will either have to wait for a long time for the repairs or they'll pay out of pocket pocket for a new one they can't afford that or more realistically they'll opt to not get a new device um go ahead about uh do you want to explain your school's device situations so yeah i mean the the device situation is actually being remedied fairly well um because i i as well am serving mostly a low socioeconomic uh student population and the device problem is being solved pretty well by the district as far as wi-fi is concerned um, hotspots are being given out pretty readily. Um, anyone with an old device is able to come and turn it in and get a new one. There's not a lot of issues there, but I do see the thing that's impacting those particular groups and families 
is uh, the amount of time that's required in a day for them to be engaged um, at home. And that's, that is impacting them because just to stay, you know, and coming from a low socioeconomic situation myself, it's like, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into staying afloat, you know, just, just, just surviving. And that's something that, you know, a lot of students, if, if, if they come and show up to a school site, they're only having to focus on what's at school at the moment. And that was a relief for me because I was teaching in the middle of it. And when I would show up and be able to teach, it was really, really easy to be able to, you know, kind of block out all the tough stuff that was going on at home Mm. because I knew I was at school, I was making money, I was doing fine, you know. But then, you know, I'd go and leave school and then I'd have to deal with all of it. I'd have to go through all the difficult stuff of keeping myself afloat. To be at home all the time, yeah, that's not, that is there. And the stress, you see it. You can see it in the students, in their work, in their responses, in their in their logging into Zoom. You can see it on their poor little faces. They just they, you can tell that the stress just weighs on them. In addition to the devices situation, these families have no or very low Wi-Fi. Um, if the schools provide them like a hotspot or the district provides them a hotspot, uh, it's less quality, and a lot of the schools provide hotspots that have limited. Uh, time on the internet so maybe five hours and so if everyone in the household's using it the kid's not going to be able to even log into all of their classes um also i asked my students uh again they're low economic socioeconomic kids in middle school uh, i asked them that question like what's something they want me to know or something i don't know about them and here are some of the uh, responses i got what they wanted me to know My internet kicks me off all the time. I have to share the internet with my mom. I have to help my mom with the internet and I have to help my siblings with getting online. And to add even more to the socioeconomic status of families, a major contributor to why people are reacting negatively to virtual learning is the reality reality that in 2018, the average black, Latino, Native American, and multiracial families were making an average household income of less than $50,000. And so our country has a right to react negatively to virtual learning. It's less than ideal, and that negativity has really clouded our newsfeed and social media. Of course, the world seems like it's falling apart. So where are all the positives? I think that the positives are coming from this idea that we're all forcing ourselves, first of all, that home has to be a safe and workable place. We have to be able to work within our environments. We have to be able to to create a space where we're able to work. And I see students transforming their living situations in just the Zoom calls I'm having with them. You know, students who initially logged in in a room that was, you know, they had completely blacked out. There was a bunch of stuff all over the ground and, and all over the place. And, you know, just two weeks into school, they have a light on in their room now. All their stuff is picked up and cleaned. You know, their bed is where is like in a different location than it was before. Um, And that's something that like, you know, everyone is kind of being forced to clean up their space um, in a way that's different than before. And that's a cool, positive thing that's been happening. And I know that kind of sounds like it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but that's a huge personal growth thing that a lot of students don't develop until way later in life, um, way outside of when we're even influencing them. And I'm seeing it happen in real time. Um, Mm -hmm. because I get the zoom calls with the students where they're in, you know, they're in their living situation and that's what's happening. I notice the changes. Um, on top of that, I can also look and see that we're all getting better with educational technology. 
the resources that we're now having, I don't think are going away. Mm-mm. We're going to keep them after this whole thing is over. And I don't see, you know, this idea that we have to be in school every day for eight hours. I don't think that's coming back. In my mind, I think we're going to get to the point where there is going to be options for virtual learning permanent. I don't see this being something that goes away for high schoolers. Um, and in particular, middle school, probably there's going to be changes with that. But I see high school as this is going to kind of hang around. These schools that have adapted to this system, I, I, I think it's there, it can be preferable in a lot of ways to have some virtual learning environments always integrated into your system. Some new educational apps that we now have better access to and they're more updated are Zoom, Edpuzzle, Nearpod, Wakelet, Seesaw, Kahoot, Twinkle, Teachable, Gimkit, Floop, SplashLearn, Canvas, GoBoard, Remind, and much more. I think uh, it would be cool to link all of those <laughs> so that we can, we'll provide access to them uh, with this podcast so that way like you guys can see them and find them out because they are really, really cool. Some of these are awesome. Um, schools and districts are way, way more open to having online resources now. Um, and, you know, it, it bringing something up, you know, you could always bring a piece of technology up in the teacher meetings at the schools. And a lot of times it would be shrugged off. And teachers are hungry. Mm-hmm. You bring it up in a meeting now and they're like, send me the link. Get me involved. I want it. Like, And it's completely different than before where people would be like, I found this cool app. It has these you know, these, this many podcasts for free. And everyone's like, oh yeah, that's real. That's real nice. I already have my books. So we're not going to really have to, now it's like, yes, give me it. Where is it? I want to find it. It's like become way more. Some of these resources are Khan Academy, Code, PBS Kids, Cool Math, Nat Geo Kids, The Kids Page, Scholastic, Duolingo, Rosetta Stone, IXL, Google, and OneNote. I'll also say that a lot of these apps have been around Rosetta Stone, Khan Academy, Cool Math, Kids Page um, have all been huge in the education world. And teachers use them all the time. But the apps themselves have adapted. Mm -hmm. They've changed to incorporate way more than they could before. Khan Academy is almost a full-blown independent math learning system now. Rosetta Stone has gone way away from when I was using it back in high school and is now fully integrated into like an educational speaking system. You know, Duolingo was a lot more, it was very similar to like a, uh, like a social media app. And it's definitely incorporated now of a, a more of a progressive competitive system into their app that's able, that allows people to do it. So all of these are kind of going forward. Um, one thing that I've definitely noticed for sure is that teachers are exploring pedag- pedagogies and classroom practices in a different kind of way than they were doing before. I think all of that has kind of changed in that you no longer have the option to speak nonstop to the students. That's out the window. If your class is currently doing that in the virtual learning environment, you're selling your kids short in a way that's so recognizable that you stand out. (laughs) And it's impossible to do it now. You just can't do it anymore. And there's so many different options for how to actually explore a pedagogy in this environment. Everything can be experimental. Some of uh, some examples of this are flipped classroom, blended learning, collaboration and community building, student choice and accountability, global collaboration, anywhere, anytime, any size learning, new forms of assessment, self-directed learning, and non-formal learning. I think that, you know, to kind of finish off, one thing we haven't touched on at all is administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and the adaptability coming from the people at the top of the school sites. 
um, has been outstanding. Um, pretty much across the board, everyone is forced to adapt and understand that the administrators are support first, which is a mentality that a lot of schools have not had up to this point. And my school site's always kind of had that. We've always kind of had this accepting administration that's willing to let teachers experiment, you know, willing to kind of be forgiving of different items that, you know, maybe other schools would have cracked down on. But I see across the board in the district now, administrators not having the option. They have to be trusted now. Um, you have to like stop, you know, there's been pushback against people that are not allowing their teachers to do their jobs in this specific way. And, you know, the, the district and school oversight has has morphed more into becoming teacher oriented, which is something that is so needed. They, they have to now trust their teachers to teach and provide that support to those who need that extra support. So before we leave, uh, I want to end this episode. Uh, we'd like to share our idea for teacher of the week um, every week. Uh, Gina came up with the idea that we would like to acknowledge a teacher who went above and beyond. Um, and we'd like our listeners to email, DM, or tweet us a teacher that you know of who you feel deserves a shout out on this podcast. We kind of want to acknowledge that people are doing an outstanding job. And some people just have really hot weeks mm -hmm. where you come in and just crush it. You just had nonstop amazing lessons. Everyone was tuned into it. You had everybody listening to what you were saying. You know, maybe you had a really good week with parents and administrators. Maybe you got that student who never listened to finally listen to you. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can go right. And so we just kind of wanted to give a shout out to people that really deserved it. So if you're interested, you can email us at those who can't do podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us out at, at those who can't do P or DM us on Instagram at those who can't do underscore podcast. Um, so shout out your friends, shout out your teachers. Let us know who's doing a great job and we'll shout them out on this podcast. So that's the end of this week's episode. Tune in next week as we discuss going back in person and what that looks like.